Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. It's so good to be home. Leave America last week. We had the privilege of doing ministry in the country of Uganda with Bishop Eldiad that I think Pastor Jay and Christine initially introduced us to with, uh, and our team that uh, we had a team from SOS. Crystal was part of that team that uh, went to Uganda at one point. Uh, we've partnered with Bishop Eldad uh, over the last couple of years, and uh, I just want to say that he is a very, very faithful man of God. He's very honorable. He's very humble. Uh, they welcomed us with open arms, and he stretched me to the limit. I didn't know I could be stretched as far as that man stretched me. But God is gracious and good and supplies everything we need. I want to thank you, this church, for praying for us. We, uh, we had a tremendous time of ministry. was able to, to, I preached, I think, maybe about 12 hours over a four-day period in the heat uh, and sun, and we saw... Uh, we just saw a tremendous move of God. It was really great. And then on top of that, we, uh, we rented trucks and went out in the streets and uh, hit three different uh, street corners and preached from trucks. And I think we maybe saw about 150 people uh, accept Jesus as their Savior during that time. That's great. And at the pastor's conference, we were able to give out over, I think, 400 Bibles. We're going to get some more. But, uh, you know... Bibles are something we take for granted. I mean, I probably any of you have three or four Bibles laying around your house. They're stacked up. They're, you don't even know where they're at. But I've never seen people so excited to get a new Bible. Uh, we saw Bibles that were looked like they had lived in the gutter somewhere. And uh, even one person found out that she had pages and even a books that were missing from the Bible she had and didn't know it. So she compared the new one with the old one. And uh, since that time, there have been several people that have already given to their life to the Lord as a result of the Bibles we passed out. So all of those salvations, healings, we had a lady that got saved at the uh, street uh, events that came in on Tuesday morning. Bishop Eldad sent me a video, and she had been uh, practicing with the witch doctor for healing, and she brought all of her satanic uh, and, and demonic uh, things that they do, and, and they were burnt. She surrendered those to the Lord, too. So... God's doing a mighty work. We, as a church, partnered in everything that, uh, that happened there. And I just want to thank you for being faithful and praying and keeping us lifted up. We had no problems until I tried to leave. And I pulled a real rookie mistake. I've traveled all over the world. I've traveled uh, I don't know how many different places. Kristen and I usually travel together. Uh, but we left... Uh, where we were staying, went to the airport, and it took six and a half hours. It should have probably taken four, but uh, I experienced something for the first time in my life. I saw single-lane traffic turn into five-lane traffic. And here we have one lane of traffic, but there's five cars wide. I don't know how that happens. And then on top of that, motorcycles going in between the cars. And uh, so it took us about six and a half hours to get to the airport. 
When we got to the airport, it was 9.30 at night, which I thought was no big deal because my plane leaves at 11.50 p.m. Uh, at least that's the printout that I had. But how many people know that you can't go by the printout, you need to check the app? I should have known better. I go to the gate, they say, sorry, your gate's closed, the plane's already uh, boarded, you can't get on it. And uh, I, I, I had a, I, I gotta admit, I didn't really stay in the spirit at that moment. I was like, but you don't understand. I don't have a phone, I don't have cell service, I, I got nowhere to go, what am I, you know. And Kristen just sitting there like she does, she's like, looking at me going, bring it down, bring it down, bring it down a notch. Uh, but fortunately, we were able to talk to somebody and let me use their phone. We were able to call Bishop. He came back. We got a hotel room for the night. We were able to get the plane the next day. But the, the airline changed the departure time by almost two hours on top of us being late. So uh, always check the app. That's what I want to tell you. Don't, don't go by the printout. Well, we had a great time. Uh, one of the messages I preached over there, the, the, the theme of the conference was the Great Commission. And one of the messages I preached, I really want to bring to you this morning because I think it's appropriate. It's fall, it's Thanksgiving, it's harvest time. And I, I want to, to talk to you today about, uh, I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 9, but the title of the message is, Where Are the Laborers? Where are the laborers? Where are the workers? You know, nobody likes to hear that word work. I was talking to Whitney before church, and she said, ooh, no one's going to want to hear that. But nobody wants to hear about work. You know, I think, but a lot of times the church has become a social club. You know, we come here and we think it's a big social program. What can I get? Oh, I want a handout. I want a handout. I want this. I want that. Oh, Jesus, give me this. I like grace. I like mercy. And that's all well and good. But there comes a point in your life when you have to take what you've been getting and you have to do something with it. And you need to get out of this building and you need to go be a laborer. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. He said, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. And really what sparked this message for me was, why are there so few laborers? Where are they at? What happened to them? He said, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into his harvest. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. There's no lack on the side of the harvest. There's no problem with the harvest. It's plentiful. There's lots of it. The problem is on the side of the laborers. Where are the workers? When Jesus said this, the verse just prior to that, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. When he says they were weary, it means they were tired. They were exhausted. They were faint-hearted. And that they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. To be scattered actually means to be cast down, to be cast aside, to be thrown down, to be kicked to the curb. And hopefully by the end of the message today, I want you to be able to open your eyes beyond yourself, beyond this building, and see that there is plenty of people that are still exhausted, that are still faint, 
that are still stressed out, that are kicked to the curb, and they need Jesus. And it's up to us, the church, to do that. See, if it was up to Jesus, it would all be done already. He would just snap his fingers and every problem would be fixed. But he chooses to work with us and through us. He made payment for every single issue 2,000 years ago. It's done. He paid for every sin. He paid for every sickness. He paid for every bondage broken in Jesus' name. But now he partners with us to get the job done. And the same problem that existed in Jesus' day when he said that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, still exists today. It still exists today. If you think about the entire world, there's 8 billion people in the world today. Of those 8 billion people, 30% profess to be Christians. I don't believe it's 30%, but that's what profess to be Christians. If that's true, if 30% of the entire world was a Christian, and there's 8 billion people on earth, that means that if every person that professes to be a Christian would reach one person a year, in two years the entire world would be reached. If you don't believe 30%, if that's too much, I always say if it's too much, cut it in half. What if it was only 15%? What if only 15% of the world who actually said they're a Christian is really a Christian, and if 15% of the world reached one person a year, we'd reach the entire world in three years? That's not happening. That's not happening because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are still few. So what's Jesus say to do? He said, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into whose harvest? It's his harvest, right? This isn't my ministry. This isn't your ministry. It's his. It belongs to him. It belongs to him. It's his harvest because he paid for it. We didn't pay for it. We can't do anything without him. There's a verse in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's a one-verse parable. It's probably the shortest parable in the Bible. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure that was hid in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it. And for joy over it went and sold all that he had, and purchased the entire field. People sometimes incorrectly say that you need to sell out for Jesus. You can't purchase Jesus. He's not for sale. And if he was, you wouldn't have enough money. The treasure is you. The treasure is the unsaved people that are in the world that he has already paid for. The Bible tells us in another place that the field is the world. So the treasure hidden in the field are the people that we need to go find. It says that the man that found it, hid it for joy, went and sold all that he had. Jesus paid everything for that field. Father in heaven sent his son everything he had to buy the entire world so that he might redeem the treasure that's you. Jesus owns this field. Jesus has paid for this field. He has the most interest in it because he bought it, he owns it, he's the Lord of it. And it says, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send out laborers into his harvest. It belongs to him. He says who, he says what, he says when, he says how, he says why, he says where. 
because it's his heart. See, so often we pray for unsaved. Jesus doesn't tell us to pray for the unsaved. Oh, God, please save Uncle Billy. Oh, God, please save Aunt Susie. He doesn't say pray for the lost. He says pray for laborers. See, he's already made payment for the lost. You don't have to convince God to save anybody. He's already convinced. He sent his son 2,000 years ago to do that. You don't have to convince God to save anybody, to love anybody, to redeem anybody, to heal anybody, or deliver anybody. He says, pray for laborers. Pray for laborers to be sent into his harvest. You know, prayer is important, but prayer is no substitute for the gospel. You can pray to your blue in the face, but if people don't hear that Jesus died for them, that Jesus loves them, and he paid for their sin, they'll go to hell. Prayer is important, but prayer is no substitute for the gospel. Paul said this, he says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God. Unto salvation, that means forgiveness of sins. That means deliverance. That means healing of sickness. The power is in the gospel. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, though. When Jesus said, I want you to pray that laborers are sent, the reason somebody needs to be sent, because unless somebody's sent, people can't hear. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. He says, whoever, how many is whoever? Everybody, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no doubt about it. You call on the Lord, you will be saved. You call on the Lord, your sins are forgiven. You call on the Lord, your body is healed. You call on the Lord, addictions are broken. You will be saved. But then he goes on to say this. Go to the next slide. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it says, how can they call on whom they have not believed? How can they believe on whom they have not heard? How can they hear unless somebody preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Because once they're sent... They'll preach. Once they preach, they can hear. Once they hear, they can believe. And once they believe, they can call. And everybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It starts with prayer, but it ends with going and preaching the gospel. So I asked the Lord, I'm like, Lord, why are there so few laborers? Why, if we have this great gift, why, if we've been given the Jesus, why, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, why are we sitting on our rear ends? Why are we not doing anything? Why is the harvest so big and the laborers so small? Jesus took me to John chapter 4 to answer that question, and that's where I want to go today. John chapter 4, 
And I want you to look at the story. We're not going to read the story of the woman at the well. You guys know that story. I taught it on a few weeks ago. But I'll just recap it for you. So I want to show you three things in this. Uh, at the end. We're going to look at verses 27 through 41. I'm going to read it. Then I want to go back and give you these three things. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. And verse 27. So we're going to look at three things. So there's three things in this passage why people who have received Jesus, who are following Jesus, who've been saved, who've been delivered, have been set free, are sitting on their rear end and doing nothing. Or maybe they start and then they get, they stop. Number one is going to be distractions. I'm going to tell you today they don't all start with the same letter. I'm going to apologize in advance. I used my thesaurus till I just got tired of using my thesaurus, and I'm just going to give them to you. Distractions. Number two, procrastination. And number three, limited vision. Distractions, procrastination, and limited vision. Now, if you remember in John chapter 4, it says, it starts out in John 4, you know the story of the woman well. It says, I think it's verse 2, it says, Jesus was leaving Judea and was going to Galilee. Judea's in the south, Galilee's in the north. And it says, but he needed to go through where? Samaria. Now that was the route that nobody took. Matter of fact, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They, they just couldn't stand them. The reason they couldn't stand them is because about 750 years before Jesus, before this story took place, the Assyrians conquered Syria, and also, which was the city and also the region of Syria. And what they did, they took the best of the Jews out. They left a few there, and they started bringing other countries in that they conquered, and they started interbreeding and intermarrying with the Jews that were left in Samaria. And so this town of Samaria, this region of Samaria, became... It became like a, they were like, uh, the Jews considered them religious half-breeds. They didn't trust them. They didn't like them. They despised them. They couldn't stand them. So if a Jew was going to go from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, they would go like this. They wouldn't go the most direct route right through Samaria. But in John chapter 4, it says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria And there was a reason he needed to go through Samaria, because there was a woman there that he needed to talk to. And sometimes if you're going to be a laborer, if you're going to go out into the field, you're going to have to do some things that get you out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to do some things, you're going to talk to people that you don't like, that aren't like you, that that, that don't look like you, act like you. And you're going to do some things that maybe just kind of push you a little bit. And it said Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Well, you know what happened? He goes to this well. He's tired from his journey. He sits down, and it says the disciples go into town, the town of Sychar. They go there to buy food. And while they're buying food, Jesus has this conversation with this woman. And if you remember the conversation, it's about living water. He asks her for a drink. She says, why would you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And he said, if you knew who was asking you and the gift of God that I could give you, you would say, give me this water and I'd give you living water. And and so she goes, well, I want living water. And Jesus said, if you receive this living water, you'll never thirst again. Matter of fact, it'll be a spring bubbling up in you 
up to everlasting life. And so Jesus talks to her about, hey, there's things in your life that you're seeking this, you're seeking that, but I've got something that will take away every desire. It'll eliminate everything you're searching for in the world, and I'll replace it with living water, and you'll never need those other things again. And so they have a conversation, and, and you know the story, and, and she says, well, you must, uh, you must be a prophet. And he says, well, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right. You don't. You had five husbands. And the one you're with now ain't your husband. You're living with the man. Oh, and she goes, oh, I think you're a prophet. Imagine that. So it's at this point in the story, and here's what's pick up there. So the disciples who are getting food are coming back, right? So let's read verses 27. I'm going to read down through 41. And then we're going to make, uh, we'll just pick three points out of there. All right, so verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way to the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? But I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sow and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two more days, and many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for ourselves we have heard him, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, I just ask in the next couple minutes that you would open uh, our ears to be attentive, that we would listen. Lord, that you would speak, that you would bring correction, that you would uh, bring uh, teaching and training. And Lord, instruct us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's what happened. So here's Jesus. He's sitting at the well. He's having this conversation with the woman. And the disciples, they, they're coming back. They had just been to uh, Chick-fil-A, and they got their number one meal with uh, waffle fries and a diet lemonade and two Chick-fil-A Chick sauce and one mayonnaise. So that's what I like, just in case you're wondering. Anybody wants to make my day, number one, diet lemonade, two Chick-fil-A sauce, one mayonnaise, I'm done. So here they come. They got their number one meal. And they come back, and here's Jesus still talking to the woman. And, and nobody, they're just kind of like, What's he doing? Why is he talking to her? But nobody asks any questions. Nobody says, what's going on, Jesus? Why are you doing this? 
And, and it says in verse 37, it says, Nobody said, what do you seek, or what are you talking with her for? The woman left her water pot, went her way to the city, said to the men, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So they see Jesus talking to her. They don't ask questions. They're not sure what's going on. But the woman leaves and goes to the city and says to the men of the city, hey, come see a man that's told me everything. This guy read my mail but he didn't make me feel awkward, but at the same time he knows it, this could be the Christ. And it says, everybody left and followed her and came there. So just picture this. Jesus is still sitting at the well. The disciples are holding their number one meal, not sure what to do. And here comes everybody from the city of Sychar to see the man that could be the Christ. And it says, they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Number one, distraction. What's wrong with eating? I like to eat. I, I will eat with the best of them. I love to eat. My wife, I shouldn't say, loves to eat. Probably not a good thing. I could get down the wrong path real quick, right? I will tell you this, Kristen, can I tell this one? This one. Kristen, Kristen says, she goes, I'm the only woman that can go on a missions trip and gain weight. Yeah. <laughs> I lost weight. She, I, I think uh, we traded or something. I don't know. But uh, I love to eat. Nothing wrong with eating. What's Jesus say? They come to him and they say, Rabbi, eat. They're more concerned with the number one meal than they are with what's going on in the spirit realm. See, they're focused on this food. And they say, here, Rabbi, you're hungry, eat. And he said, wait a minute, I have food to eat of that you don't know anything about. Okay, and they're like, um, did somebody bring him food while we were gone? Hey, John, we know you're the fastest runner in the bunch. Did, did you go to McDonald's while we were at Chick-fil-A? And did you bring him something? No. Well, God forbid, maybe the Samaritan woman gave him something. And they're like, well, did somebody bring him something? He said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And they're like, who brought him food? And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and, and to finish his work. My food, my nourishment, the thing that feeds me is to do the will of him who sent me and to do what? Finish. It's his harvest, right? If it's his harvest, it's his will, and it's his work. It's never your will, and it's never your work, because it's not your harvest. Jesus got it. Jesus got it. See, what happens is a lot of people are good with the before. I, oh, I want. how many want to do the will of God? Everybody wants to do God's will. If you don't want to do God's will, we need to pray for you. Because you should want to. But right, a lot of people are willing to do God's will, but they get stuck on the end. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to do what? Finish. God wants you to be a finisher. You can't harvest if you can't finish. 
What's going to happen somewhere between beginning and ending? You're going to drop the fruit. There's not going to be a harvest. See, a lot of people are great starters and terrible finishers. I'm one of them. I love to start things. Just don't ask me to finish it. Ask my wife. I moved into a new office in 2009. It's the office I'm still in to this day. What's that been? 13 years ago. I moved into a new office 13 years ago, and for 10 years, no, 11 years, I let my, my pictures sit on the floor by my desk. 11 years. And then two years ago, I had a real important meeting, so I moved them from the, from the floor into a closet. I just can't put them up. But Jesus said that you need to start and do the will of him who sent you, and you need to finish it. Somewhere between the start and the finish, distractions happen. It's like if you saw the movie Up. You remember that movie Up? And there's a talking dog. And I think this talking dog was a harvester. He was a laborer. And there, this old man, he's shocked. And he said, oh yeah, my master got me this collar so I can talk. Squirrel! And that's what we do. Between start and finish, we squirrel out. See, not all distractions are bad. There's nothing wrong with a number one Chick-fil-A meal. But when the meal keeps you from the finish line, you need to move it aside for now. Because Jesus said, if you're going to be a harvester, if you're going to be a laborer, you need to start and you need to finish. See, do you remember the story of the soils? Remember the story of the soils? We had four soils, right? There was the, the seed. Somebody say the parable of the seed. I call it the parable of the soil. But you had the sum of the seed. It said it fell by the wayside. And the seed that fell by the wayside, it said the birds came and ate it up, right? And that was the devil stealing the word. And it said some seed fell on stony ground. And it said that when it, it sprung up really quick and the sun scorched it, and it, it, it withered away because it had no depth of earth. And it said, some seed fell on thorny ground, and it came up, and it grew, and the thorns choked it out, and it became unfruitful. Some, some seed fell on good ground, and it produced 30, 60, and some 100-fold. Remember that story from Mark chapter 4. Look at Mark chapter 4, next slide, verses 18 and 19. So the disciples ask, you know, tell me what this parable means. And when he gets to the point of the seed that fell among the, the thorny ground, this is very similar to what happens to a laborer when you get distracted midway between starting and finishing. He said that none of these things of themselves are really bad. The cares of this world, okay? It could be your family. It could be your job. We all have cares, right? Cares aren't bad. But when the cares distract you from what God's called you to do, they will steal your fruit. He says the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. So riches aren't bad, but when riches get to the point that they deceive you and make you think that they can give you what God can't, they're no good. Desires for other things. Desires aren't bad. God gives you desires. Desires are natural, but when desires get in the middle of where you start and where you finish, it says they choke out the word and it becomes what? 
unfruitful. Well, you can't become unfruitful unless you started to become fruitful. Think about that. How do I become unfruitful if I never was fruitful to start with? So what happens is you plant the seeds, you start doing the work, you start to produce a little fruit, but in the midst of that fruit, before it gets all the way to the finish line, it becomes unfruitful. And you lose the harvest. Distractions can be ministry. You can get so busy doing the Lord's work that you don't lead anybody to the Lord. What good is that? You're going to get to heaven one day and God's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful pancake maker. Those things are great if they lead to the point of telling somebody about Jesus. That's what it's all about. If you think of the story in Mary and Martha, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says she's chosen the better part. It says Mary got distracted by the big dinner she was making. The big dinner's great. I love dinner. I love to eat. But you can't let the dinner get between you and what the Lord of the harvest has called you to do. If it doesn't lead to the point of touching a life, telling somebody about Jesus, praying for somebody, unsaved people can do the same thing. There's plenty of non-believers doing a lot of good things. But Jesus wants you to be a finisher. Sometimes it's cares of the world. Sometimes it's ministry. Sometimes it's just difficult things you got to go through. Sometimes it's just some hard stuff. Sometimes Paul says it's tribulations. You know, Jesus was a finisher, right? What did Jesus say right before he went to the cross? John chapter 17, verse 4, he says, Father, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished all that you sent me to do. And then when he hung on the cross, what did he say? Finished. You know the Apostle Paul was a finisher too? He didn't have it easy. He didn't have it easy at all. Sometimes life's tough. Sometimes ministry's tough. Sometimes there's, you're going to have to go through some things. What did Paul say in Acts chapter 20? He's talking to the Ephesians. He says this. He says, I don't know what lies ahead of me. I don't know. All I know is the Holy Spirit tells me this. Go to the next slide. He says that the Holy Spirit tells me that there will be chains and tribulations. Anybody like that? No. But those things, if we let them, they can cause us to short-circuit what God has called us to do. Sometimes like, ah, oh, I just can't take it anymore. This is too tough. I experienced a failure. I prayed for this person and they didn't get better. I, I witnessed this person and they spit in my face. Paul says, all I know is there's going to be some stuff I'm going to have to go through. That's what the Holy Spirit said. He says, but none of these things move me. I'm not letting any of these things get between my start and my finish. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. What did Paul say at the end of his life to Timothy? I fought a good fight. 
I finished my course, kept the faith. Paul was a finisher. Jesus wants you to be a finisher. He wants you to start, and he wants you to finish what he's called you to do. He didn't call you to go sideways halfway through. He didn't call you to get, get bitter and get thrown your lip up and go stand in a corner and I didn't get my way and things just didn't go the way I wanted them to. He called you to persevere. He called you to be steadfast. Stick it out to the end. The one reason there's few laborers, people just uh, they let distractions get them sidetracked. Number two, procrastination. I feel like this message is more for me because I'm a terrible finisher and I'm also a procrastinator. <laughs> so I'm probably preaching this just to charge myself up a little bit because I need to hear this like a whole bunch. What did Jesus say? So this was, Jesus repeats back to them, here are all the, all the people of the city and they're looking at them and he says, don't you say there are still four months until the harvest? So this is a proverb people would say at that time. They'd say, oh, yeah, there's four months till the harvest. Just a way of saying, I got tomorrow. I got another day. There's another week. There's another month. Matter of fact, we got four months till the harvest. Why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? Motto of my life. Used to drive my dad crazy. My dad would say, okay, son, you gotta, you got to split these five truckloads of wood. And I want it done by, you know, in, in a month. So my dad, the way he would think, if I have 30 days and five truckloads, I do one truckload every six days, and I take that truckload and I cut it into sixth, and we do the exact same amount every day, and then we get to the 30th day and it's all done. That's not how I think. I think, what can I do for 29 days? How much fun can I have between now and the 29th day? And then on the 30th day, I'm going to work really hard and still get it done. That was me. That's how I think. I'm like, well, I still got it done, right? But he says, don't you say there's still months, four months to the harvest? He says, open your eyes, look into the fields, because right now, already, they're white. They're white for harvest. They're ripe for harvest now. You don't see it, but they're ready. See, too often we take this position that, well, I know that person needs prayer. I know that person needs Jesus, but I'm going to see them tomorrow. I'll see them at work next week. Our shifts are going to be the same shift. I'll see them next week. Oh, they're coming to, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going bowling with them in, in two weeks. I got another day. I got another two days. I got till tomorrow. You don't always have till tomorrow. Today might be your last day to ever preach, and today might be their last day to ever hear. You don't know. I told you this story before that I had a guy that worked for me that got sick, and he went when Sacred Heart was up here. I'm sorry, Memorial Hospital was up on the hill. And I knew he, he wasn't doing well. He was in his mid-50s. And it's like, well, you know, 50s isn't that old. He'll, he'll be fine. He'll get better. I felt like the Lord's just pushing me. You need to go talk to him about the Lord. You need to go talk to him about the Lord. And you know what I said? I had a four-month mentality. I said, it's not four months. He'll get better. He'll recover. Lord, I'll talk. It's not that I'm not willing. I just don't want to do it today. Because I got another day. And that guy died that night. 
He didn't have another day. I have another day, but he didn't. And that's the reality. You have to live with a sense of urgency that this may be the last time you can give a gospel to somebody. This might be the last time that they ever have a chance to hear what Jesus did for them. See, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is coming right on the heels of him saying that we are ambassadors for Christ at the end of chapter 5. He says, we then as workers together, remember, this is the same word workers, but this is a workers together. That we're working with We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not four months from now. It's when? Now. See, Paul says this. He says, I urge you, don't receive the grace of Christ in vain. To receive something in vain means that you put some effort into it, but nothing was the result. It ended up being nothing. And he's saying that you received Jesus' grace, you received Jesus' forgiveness, you received everything that Jesus has given to you, and you received it in the very day that you needed it. Go back. He says, in an acceptable time, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. Jesus helped you on the very day that you needed help. And now that you've received grace, Paul says don't waste that grace. Don't, don't just say, oh, you know, I've got the grace of God, great. No, you need to steward it. You've been given something, now you need to do something with it. And not do something with it next week, next month, next year. Today. You needed it today. Jesus met you the day you needed it. You need to talk to somebody today. Because they might not have tomorrow. Final thing is this. Limited vision. Oh, let's go to the next slide. Be an effective laborer. You cannot put off tomorrow what must be done today. Okay, next. In the middle of that, when Jesus said, you say you have four months, but I want you to look. The fields are already white to harvest. You notice he didn't say field. What did he say? The field. The field. So when Jesus bought the entire world with his blood, the world is a field. One field. The world is the field. But within the world, there are smaller fields. And what happens sometimes is we have a single field mindset. The disciples that were with Jesus are looking at the entire city of Sychar, but they don't see that as a field because they're not like them. The disciples only saw a field that was the same ethnicity and same background and same the people that were like them, but they didn't see the field as people that were anything different than them. And sometimes we can get stuck in this mindset to where there's only one field. I've been called to one field. That's the field I'm going to. There's only one field, the field in my backyard, the field that lines up with my giftings, the field that, that's uh, just close to me at work, the field that 
that's the things that I'm good at. Jesus says, I want you to open your eyes and look at the field. Because the fields are ripe unto harvest. Have you ever worked in a ministry or in a field and you had real good success? How many people have had real good success? How many, how many have ever had success and then you continue to do the same thing that you were doing and all of a sudden you have no success? <laughs> Everybody, right? They're like, but Lord, this was so successful. What's going on? You called me to this field. I'm a laborer in this field. These are my people. This is what I do. Do you remember in the Old Testament when the Israelites would sow? and they'd go out and plant, and they'd harvest. What happened every seventh year? They had to let the ground rest. Sometimes our frustration is because we're trying to harvest in a field that's at rest. And what do we do? We bind and loose. I bind, I loose in Jesus' name. And then we pray, and then we fast. And then we profess and we declare. Nothing happens. Maybe we should ask the Lord of the harvest if we need to switch fields. Because our frustration comes that sometimes we were very successful in a field because it was harvest time. But now it's harvest time somewhere else. See, everywhere in the world there's a harvest going on somewhere. But not every field is harvesting at the same time. And when you're in a field that's at rest, you need to go back to the Lord of the harvest and ask Him, where do you want me to go? Because He knows. But if you get so stuck that this is the only field because these are the people that are like me. This is what I specialize in. This is where my giftings line up. This is what I like to do. You're going to be real frustrated in your walk with the Lord. Sometimes he calls us out of a field that's going gangbusters to one that's not. See, sometimes we're in a field that nothing's happening. we got to ask the Lord of the harvest, where do I go? Other times we're in the midst of revival and things are happening and people are getting saved and healings are taking place. And he said, I want you to go to the desert. You remember Philip? Philip went to Samaria. It says Philip preached the gospel. People got saved. He cast out demons. He laid hands on people. They got healed. All kinds of things are happening. It's a major outbreak in the city. And then it says Peter and John came down because none of them had yet received the Holy Spirit. They laid hands on them, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Things are popping. And God says, hey, Philip, in the midst of a major harvest, I want you to go to the desert in Gaza. Like, God, but the field, it's white in the harvest. This one's really ripe. He says, I know, but I've got plans for Ethiopia that you don't know about. Because there's a man on a chariot that's an Ethiopian eunuch that's reading the book of Isaiah that needs somebody to go talk to him. 
sometimes we can stay in a field that's at rest, but other times we want to stay in a field that's popping. But in either case, we need to listen to what God wants us to do. Because He bought the harvest. He owns the harvest. He's got the most invested in it. And if you'll ask Him, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to say? I'm here. I'm going to be a finisher. I'm going to do what you've called me to do, and I'm going to finish the work. I'm not going to allow the cares of the world to get in the way. I'm not going to allow my family issues to get in the way. I'm not going to allow ministry to get in the way. I'm not going to allow tribulations and trials to distract me from what you've called me to do. I'm not going to put off till tomorrow what I can do today. You've called me. Show me who you want me to talk to today. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day that somebody needs Jesus. And Lord, I'll go to whatever field you send me to. I'm not going to be stuck in a single field mindset. I'm going to look and see that there's more than one field. There's more than one that I see out there. we got to get beyond the field that's in our backyard. Whether that's the backyard of your house or the backyard of your church or the backyard of your job. That might be the field today, but it might not be the field tomorrow. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you guys today. I want to ask you, just stand up. Do this. I've been guilty of all these things. I've asked God to change me, open my eyes, let me see what He wants me to do. And it doesn't matter what each of us do. We all have different callings. Paul says, I watered, Apollos planted, but God gave the increase. He said, he that plants, he that waters are one. Jesus said in this passage that he who sows and he who reaps rejoice together. We're all in this together, but we all got different callings. You just need to be listening to what God's calling you to do. So like always, I want to ask you this. If if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never before ever said, Jesus, I need you. Here's the promise to you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a for sure. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're even in the middle of right now. Because Jesus has already paid for it. If that's you, and you want to receive Jesus, you want to accept Jesus, I just want you to slip your hand up. Just so I can see it. Just put your hand up. Just like this. Nobody looking around. Anybody? Anybody want to receive Jesus today? You can leave here knowing your sins are forgiven. Okay, I don't see any hands. I'll just lead you in a short prayer. Maybe you're online today. Maybe you're watching. You don't know Jesus. It's just as simple as this. Jesus, I know. I know I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has 
condemned me to hell, but Jesus, you paid for my sin. You were my substitute. You died for me and you rose again. And I receive what you did for me and I make you Lord and Savior of my life. I want you to think, for those of you that are, are Christians today, I want you to take a little inventory. Have you received the grace of God in vain? Have you been sitting on something super wonderful that Jesus has done for you and you're just doing that? You're just sitting on it. I want you to be honest. I'm just going to pray for you collectively as a church. If you want to be serious about being a laborer for, for the Lord, I want you to just put your hand up right now. I got my hand up with you. If you want to be used of the Lord to reach somebody that needs Jesus, this month, this week, tomorrow, today, whatever it is. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father God, we thank you so much for, for your son Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, you know the ones here that, that want tell somebody about Jesus, the ones that want to, to reach somebody for you. Father, I just stand against every distraction. I stand against every attack of the enemy, everything that the devil might throw in their way to try to get them off course. We bind that in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to keep focused, to be finishers, to complete the task you've called them to do. have your eyes to see the one that you're leading us to. Father, give us courage to open our mouth and say something. Lord, we submit to you today.